0: voice of a winner. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. We are live at Silverstone in the GP Racing Fan Village. We are tucked away inside this lovely marquee, because we thought it might rain again earlier. Uh, Meanwhile, everyone's outside having a beer. Um, If you can bring yourselves to a cheer, the microphones will pick us up. Give us a cheer, Silverstone. Three, two, one, go. ...that may or may not have come out on the podcast. We don't know. If uh, it didn't, it was
3: yeah. raucous. It, it, oh, was, it like was amazing. i like the principle. Like Wembley. This is a bit big to be a marquee. I'd say it's a Mark F at least.
0: Let's introduce our two experts who have just made their way... ...from the Silverstone uh, paddock out to our uh, makeshift podcast studio uh, today. Matthew joins us and Stuart Codling uh from G p racing magazine uh which is there 's plenty of them around here uh, so if you're here at Silverstone in the fan village, please do pick one up uh, it 's a glorious magazine, the world's best selling formula one magazine and it 's
3: got a new editor apparently cotters uh, yeah where is it oh he's here it's me congratulations <laughs> yes I thank you <laughs> thank you everyone i 'll be signing autographs later uh you 've got the bi- you 've got the big gig after only waiting twenty years yes congratulations. Yeah. Well, I know I know I only look 15, but uh, uh, what will that entail? Uh, more hard work, uh, oh. and especially until we recruit someone to do my old job. So okay. uh, if anyone out there wants to start polishing your CVs, then um, there, there will be an application process underway at some point.
0: And when's the next issue of GP Racing Magazine out? Uh,
3: July the 28th, if may reserve.
0: Well, what's it like, Matt, what's it like being back uh, here at home of Formula One, back in the Silverstone Paddock, the stands are full, the crowd have plenty to watch today, eventually when the rain went, What's it like for you guys to be back
4: it's a new experience for me. So I've come here once, uh, at the behest of Sunny, who's standing on the door. She, she invited me a couple of years ago before pandemic. And, uh, before that I had only ever been here, uh, as an impoverished student. So I used to come for the the young driver test because they're a cheap way to get in. So seeing it pack grandstands and proper Formula One, all the, all the sort of big motorhomes and stuff, it's mega. It's a bit of a sensory, sensory overload. This is my first season doing Formula One. And the analogy I've used to uh, most people is it's a bit like being 18 again, where you go to a bar and any alcohol is good alcohol. You don't have your preference between bitter and lager, and cider, or whatever. It's just all good. Give it all to me. So uh, I've I've been enjoying everything. But uh, to come to Silverstone is is incredibly special. Uh, But it'd be slightly better if it didn't rain.
0: Yes, it was. It did rain early. We had the showers. We think we're going to get good weather for the rest of the weekend. That's the plan anyway. And and Cotter's nice for you, you know, again, for, actually for the fans, for those, those of us that work in Formula One, to be back here at the circuit and seeing old friends again and being able to talk to the drivers and ask team members things on or off the record. It makes your job so much better than doing these Zoom calls. Uh,
3: yeah, just being able to go around and speak to people is really, really useful. And uh, it, it has been quite Heavy weather the past sort of two and a half years of having to assemble features based on stock pictures and zoom calls with drivers. It's so much better to go uh, out and speak to people and have proper pictures. It makes for a nicer magazine. Just makes for more interest for people. Uh, the the great thing for us has been uh, the the Netflix program Drive to Survive, which has kind of fired up a lot of interest with uh, amongst people who ordinarily might not have watched Formula One two or three years ago. And so that they've got into it. And you see the crowd um, at Silverstone this weekend. I think uh, when I interviewed Stuart Pringle, the, the MD of Silverstone, uh, about a month or so ago for the current issue of GP Racing, he said that around 80% of the ticket bookers for this year's British Grand Prix didn't... By didn't actively buy a ticket last year so it's not necessarily people who haven't been before but an awful lot of people who haven't bought tickets before so they might be members of the same family as people who've bought tickets doing a bit of quid pro quo or they might be part of a new audience so that's actually really fascinating as well
0: uh fb1 not a huge amount to learn from it you know 10 drivers out on track not great for the fans uh, who have Packed Silverstone once again. Some running, but not too much. And Matt, we sent you out trackside to uh, to go and watch from. Where were you watching FP1 and how wet did you get?
4: It, it wasn't too bad. So uh, we headed to sort of the, the newer complex, which is that f- uh, farm chapel, and then on to uh, the Wellington Strait. So what you see through there, particularly when, as it was a bit slippery, you see them get loads of understeer as to come in getting it all wrong on the curves and then not being able to get the power down out of that. But unfortunately, we were sort of, we're looking up at the clouds, bit of rain... And then blue sky, and it dries, but it dries on this part of the track. The other side of the track is still very damp. So everyone was put off running, and I've you know feel sorry for all the fans. It's the worst thing you can get really is rain, because it's particularly when you've got upgrades. And like you see, the Williams they've only got one upgraded car. Parts are at a premium, so they're not going to risk it out and, and bin it, particularly if they knew the forecast for FP two was dry. So not an awful lot going on. I was out there with my colleague, uh, colleague Alex Kalanorka so we had to make our own entertainment, but we're pretty good at that. But not 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 a huge amount of reading. And then we got five. Five minutes of action at the end, and then lunch Stroll promptly binned it. So, uh, not not an awful lot. But I'm hoping I can use that as a bit of a leverage to get out again and watch some fast cars go around in circles tomorrow. Well, exactly. FP3 in the morning. Is it the morning or is it the
3: afternoon? It, Who knows? It's b- about eleven schedule. o'clock, I think. the The, 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 sh- the schedule's insane, isn't it? Like I, I was here about eight o'clock this morning, and uh, there was no Formula One action till um, just just after lunch had passed my lips. So it's a very very peculiar schedule.
0: Last year, of course, we hosted the sprint. Race Race here, so Friday had a you know a different feel, and Saturday had a, a, a different feel. What was it like for you, Codders, this morning um, watching FP1? We'll get into FP2 as well because that's when the action happened. All drivers were out in the first ninety seconds of, of FP2. Um, it, this is a more of a kind of conventional weekend feeling, and actually, the one of the kind of the ways that Formula One works, the media sessions are going back to Thursdays, which have been piled into Fridays until now. Do you know when that changes? Because, again, that will be a much more conventional form to a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday running of the weekend.
3: Yeah, it's coming soon. I think what the FIA have realised is that it's a bit pointless running press conferences an hour before uh, practice, because by the time you've transcribed uh, your your interviews and turned it into stories, they're already starting to be made irrelevant. So the whole point of moving things from Thursday into Friday was to make for a shorter weekend and save a little bit of money. But actually, it it hasn't done that. People are still doing things on Thursdays, and the drivers are saying, well, look, why, why don't we just do stuff on on Thursdays, and particularly at the newer Grand Prix, like the Miami Grand Prix just a couple of months ago, there was an awful lot of demands on their time because uh, F1 wanted to do as much publicity as it could. Stretching their patience a little bit, it occupied a lot of Thursday, but a lot of them actually felt that they got a bit more value for their time um, coming out of that. So there's been a bit of pressure on the FIA to realign stuff, and, and, and FIA and, the, and, and F1 have kind of capitulated to the inevitable which is that people are interested in what drivers have to say and that has to be staggered through the course of a, of a Grand Prix weekend as part of that process of building the excitement.
0: Because I wondered whether it was at some of those earlier Grand Prix's whether the drivers were being told you, you have to be out of your bed at six o'clock, half six, because we've got a media session at eight and with all, you know, the best will in the world, some of the drivers on the grid are going to say, uh, no nah, you're okay. No thanks. They're,
3: they're not early risers. And the other thing is the format where you have four or five drivers in the same press conference. Um, I, I, I don't know if, if the crowd have observed this while watching these on TV, but the average racing driver has the attention span of a three-year-old. So when they're not being asked a question, they're fiddling with their phone, they're starting to pick their nose or whatever, or they're starting to banter to the guy next to them, and they're not really very engaged. So it's much better to do something in a more sensible way. Uh, FB1 this morning, Bottas
0: topped the damp first practice uh, with a 142.249, uh, doesn't really count. FB 2 Carlos Sainz and his Ferrari led the way ahead of Lewis Hamilton and Lando Norris. Max Verstappen, fourth in the timesheets. but I want to ask these guys how much of that was a real lap and how much was he hindered or not pushing. Uh, Charles Leclerc in fifth, followed by Fernando Alonso in the Alpine, still running well. Uh, Sergio Perez in the second Red Bull, George Russell in the second Mercedes, Danny Ricciardo uh, in ninth for McLaren, and Lance Stroll, Keeping it on track, in tenth for the Aston marsin So, um, let me ask you first about the uh, Matt. Let me ask you first about the quick runs, and that finishing order. How representative of that is real pace? I mean, no one's doing glory runs. It's not testing trying to attract a sponsor. But how much of that is real, spe- real pace uh, from your analysis?
4: At this point, we have the usual FP2 caveats, which we don't know about fuel loads and we don't know about engine mode. So this is all speculatory. So we use soft language like, you may see more, you might find, <laughs> rather than, go you know, this is what's happening. The science pace looks pretty genuine to me. For one, the Red Bull, you know, you know, it's quick, so you could argue they're sandbagging. But two, he had a you know pretty busy session. He was fighting that red light warning that was going off. He was complaining of a noise, thinking something's rubbing. So not necessarily in the loop. And then uh, and then, would the cynical part of me say that Hamilton being second and Norris third is a bit of a glory run, a bit of a low fuel dash, sort of uh, repay the fans for sitting out there in the rain when I got to watch not an awful lot. Perhaps I am that cynical to suggest it's a bit of a glory run, but we've got some long run times which we'll come on to. Not the sexiest thing in the world, but it says Mercedes and and McLaren are are closer. But I think that Ferrari pace is genuine and and the flip side of that is a Red Bull pace. What Max Verstappen in fourth is probably a bit slower than where they are. And again, with Perez in in, in seventh. And and the Alpines look good the last last few races. So I think Alonso in sixth places, yeah, that's probably about right. And it looked like
3: there was a bit of... As you can see from my notebook, there was a point where my, my pen ran out of ink and I had to go to my, my B-spec pen. Such is uh, the way we are funded. <laughs> uh, Max Verstappen spent quite a long time in the garage with lots of changes being made to the front end of his cart. So we, we have to factor that into account that maybe we haven't seen the best of the Red Bull yet.
0: Cottes, is there any chance that, you know, every home race... The local press, the national press, will will do a, uh, you know, make more of a song and dance about it. It, Is there any chance that all the headlines being written overnight, you know, Lewis Hamilton, he's back. What's your take on that and his uh, his quick pace and and any upgrades that Mercedes might have brought to the track today?
3: Well, yeah, I I think the reason my pen ran out of ink was that I I started writing out everything that Mercedes had done to the car what have
0: they done to the car what have they
3: done to the car well they've done so much detail stuff it's actually amazing so they've they've thickened the, uh, the the front suspension at the push rod and and the rear leg where they meet the chassis not for any strength purposes but just to change the airflow pattern so they set up beneficial vortices that help make the floor work better so this is sort of clear wind tunnel work um, going on there's there's new vanes all over the place there's new floor fences there's a new bib wing which is the bit um under Basically under the driver's thigh, uh, which sort of splits off, uh, so that some of it goes around the side pod, some of it goes uh, towards the underfloor. Um, they've they've changed the camber of the rear wing tip, uh, which is a track specific change for for this circuit, and that's just to tweak the balance between drag and downforce. They they want to uh, try and reduce a bit of. Um, reduce a bit of the drag for the straights because this is this is a fast circuit. Um, the main problem Mercedes face is this bouncing problem, which seems to manifest it most uh, uh, at bumpy circuits. They were hoping that Silverstone's smooth and recently resurfaced surface, that's a terrible tautology, isn't it, uh, would be beneficial, but Lewis was still complaining about a bit of bouncing. I, I think there's probably an element of, as Matt said, a bit of pushing hard to entertain the home audience and there's no doubt that you find a bit of speed as a British driver when performing in front of your home crowd Nigel Mansell always used to say you found an extra couple of tenths I don't think the car's been transformed into a race winner overnight but what I would say about Lewis is that there's kind of a myth grown up this year that um, George Russell's outperformed him somehow and that he's getting his backside handed to him on a, on a silver platter by the young guy um, and that's not really the case at all there's been a lot of mitigating circumstances it's been very hard to draw any definitive uh, conclusions about what's happening between the two drivers because Mercedes have been experimenting with setups, with configurations. It's actually been very rare, certainly through practice, for Lewis and George to be running the same spec of car. So you, you, you can't really compare them in a lot of races. Um, and ditto in qualifying, there's been a few things where, you know, Lewis might have made a mistake, like the sprint race at, at Imola didn't work, work out so well. Other races where people said, oh, you know, Lewis did terribly, terribly at uh, at Imola, for instance. No, he didn't. He started on the wet side of the grid. So he went backwards, whereas George started on, on the dry side. Um, so there's a lot of mitigating circumstances. Safety car timing in Australia and in Miami also didn't play into his hands. The only time, really, that those two guys have been... On track on the same type of tire at the same time has been in the final stint at, in Canada, so it's so early to actually say that Lewis should be sort of handing in uh, handing in his watch and uh, going cruising off into the sunset. I think there's there's plenty more with the lucky
1: landslides. You can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: Mansell is in the hotel next door, in the posh one. So you might he might be wandering around and you could perhaps grab him for a few words in your quiz later.
3: Yeah, get him to do some table magic. Oh no, he nearly set Billy Monger on fire last time he Hang did on. that.
0: So, good luck with the quiz later by the way. So,
3: well, yeah, hopefully some people out there listening uh, right now will be coming to the quiz. We have prizes. There are. Crofty used to do that. So how come you got the gig? Did did Crofty say no? He's too, he's too expensive. No, he's... he's uh, last last year, he he was bound by uh, COVID bubbles. This year, he's, he's got some charity due uh, somewhere. So he's, uh, he's he unavailable, has. sadly. So of course he has. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to go into that sort of Alan Partridge mode. So uh, I'm afraid Sue Cook has cancelled.
0: <laughs> hey, last year, we were on this same stage recording this, uh, but all laid out two metres apart, so it's nice to be back and a degree of normality. Right, um, Matt, let me ask you about uh, McLaren in that case, because Lando, third. Now we, we saw some, um, some strangeness with him being dropped off the jacks, uh, which is embarrassing more than anything, um, but talk about McLaren. Uh, Lando was third uh, today, and not too far off the uh, of Carlos Sainz's pace. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo, ninth. Uh, what do you make of that?
4: difficult to say
0: <laughs> <Here's the laughs> he honest might be fast
4: his answer I'm going to put it the other way around and say it look, it's looking more like he might be he might be slow so that that McLaren we've seen the flashpoint so in Imola it was an opportunistic podium in other circuits where you know they've, they've put together a run of form you think they've cracked it which is you know uh, not where they were at the start of the season but actually after how bad the results were for both uh, Norris and, and Ricardo in, in Montreal. Certainly, the lack of pace they've got. Actually, no, we just had some circuits that suited us, and we come to Silverstone and they're a bit off the boil. So the stuff we're looking at, and yes, it's carried, It's easy to get carried away with Norris in third, uh, the end of FP two. Come on, you know that's that's that gives us confidence overnight. But I'm uh, uh, so a bit sad. So I've been looking at the long run data, and what you have here is. Uh, Norris did 14 laps on the hard tyre and his average lap. So, how you work that out is you take the 14, and if they're about you know five tenths within five tenths either size of like an average, you think, Yeah, decent. If if they're way if you think he's locked up, gone off. So, you've been that, uh, you've been that to one side or you put that to one side. But his average lap was a 134.76 on the hard tyres, 14 laps of that. And what does that mean? Well, it's quite hard to say because Pirelli usually sort of release a differential but uh, of what it is between compounds. So the hard compound is obviously two away from the fastest soft. Uh, but we haven't been given that differential so far. But you can estimate it's usually a little over half a second, six tenths. So that would put him, let's say, at one thirty-four-one on the soft. That puts him half a second behind signs, four tenths behind the clerk, six, seven tenths behind Verstappen. So the long-winded answer to your question is McLaren's pace here looks like what McLaren's pace has been... Sort of the whole season where it's, it's it's in that if you're like upper middle of the midfield, but they're not i, I you know I don't think they're going to set the world on fire here. Just their brakes.
3: I think set the world on fire is probably an inappropriate um, turn of phrase, given that we all had to pile out of the press room earlier. We did. There was, we a had a, there, was a,
4: there was a fire drill. We had a fire drill. Someone, I don't know, stuffed up with catering or whatever, but <laughs> we got told this <laughs> was a <laughs> toast. We got told this was not a drill and please please leave and oh head outside. Uh, in terms of tyres, three
0: hardest, uh, the, well, the hardest compound of the five here at Silverstone. Um, obviously, a yeah, smooth circuit, but very high speed circuit as well. Codders, how much do you think tyres could play into uh, this weekend? and the various teams and how their uh, their cars suit different compounds.
3: Yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because we saw earlier on that uh, George was complaining about uh, lack of grip on the hard tyre. Very often something happens. You, you sometimes see um, some cars working better on the hard tyre. Um, McLaren seems to favour harder rubber. Um, but, you know, it's, it's still not in the window where it's a, a race-winning car. So... When you when you look at, at the, the, the sort of the top two cars at the moment, the Ferrari and the Red Bull, a lot of races have come down to how hard they, they work the tyres because there is sort of so little difference between them in terms in terms of outright pace. At Silverstone, it's it's a track that's hard on tyres, so I, I would say that whatever you can do on the medium to sort of maximise pace and life. Um, that that'll be what they're looking to achieve. The, the trouble is that they, they lack the running today, and also the rain made made the track a bit greener. So they're, they're going to start tomorrow almost from a fresh fresh page, especially if it rains again overnight.
0: Now, where we are recording this, we are the other side of. Maggots Beckett's Complex, one of my favourite places in the world to watch a Formula One car. You'll n- never see an overtake here, uh, but it will just melt your brain about how a car can change direction that quickly. Um, I absolutely love it. And we're the other side of the the fence, as it were, um, in, the, in, the, in the campsite here. So um, lo- looking at th- those kind of corners when we were looking at the replays earlier um, on TV, Matt, and you've been looking at the long run pace as well. Looking at how much Lewis was having to fight the car, how much steering angle he was putting into the car, and how in control Verstappen looked. One car looked turned up on the edge. One car looked to have load spare. And again, you know, my point on, on, on Max is he was complaining about that rubbing or something. He wasn't happy. He didn't get a clean, a clean lap. You've looked at the long run pace. Is it looking like a battle between Red Bull and Ferrari this weekend on Sunday?
4: Yes. But Mercedes, it but is,
0: they might or might not be it fast. It is,
4: but if if we're if we're like continuing with me being a cynic, Mercedes pace is absolutely there. But it's whether whether you buy into that or not. And as you've seen with the porpoising, or right at the end of the session, Lewis Hamilton ran wide out of cops and took a chunk of his front wing off. That's that's no good for a race. But if if you'll bear with me and I can get a bit granular, I can give you some more some more some more numbers. And so, Verstappen is sort of over over FP two pretty much for the. Bulk of the season, he's been like the benchmark. You look at him first, and you think you're the right side of that. Then you're in a really good shot of, of of winning the race. So his numbers are he did an average time of a one minute thirty three point four seven six, so one minute thirty three and a half. Let's call it that, uh and that was on the softest tyre. Well I can happily say that Russell on the softest tyre did a 1 minute 32.9 that was his average so that's a sustained pace that would possibly put him maybe you know half a second ahead however Stappen was on a longer stint so he's probably preserving his tyres a bit more and again it's always these caveats in Epi 2 what were they doing in terms of engine mode how heavy were they running in terms of fuel and also drivers backing off so you know when you're watching on TV, you get sector one, sector two, sector three. We're very lucky to have access to micro sectors. When a lap is broken down into what, like sort of twenty one, it's too far se- away for me to count. I can just see the little yellow, green, and purple blocks. Exactly. I had more faith in the weather, so I've got contacts in today and wear sunglasses. I now can't see a thing on my laptop screen. But anyway, you see it micro seconds down, and basically it's still the same principles. Purple's fastest overall. Green's personal best, and yeah. you have grey, and. Sometimes they'll put a a run together of three grey sectors. And that's because Max may have potentially lifted on Wellington straight, Hangar straight, whatever. So you've always got those caveats again, which is why we sort of use a bit of softer language around it. Uh, But then what else we've got? Hamilton's average uh, lap was a 33.8 on the medium, which puts him identical to Leclerc. And again, Leclerc would expect to be there or thereabouts fighting for the win. Red Bull come here, obviously, in a really good run of form. They've they've uh, they're not bringing up dates here. So they're they're very sort of or nowhere near as sweeping as Mercedes. So they're very rich in terms of data. They know what makes this car tick. Whereas Mercedes, as we've seen all the way throughout the season, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And they've had really like a, a struggle just sort of isolating what really unlocks this car. Red Bull now. have had this car for the better part of well, since since really that that Barcelona test, uh, the Barcelona test when they sported yeah. those aggressive side pods. So they know what makes it work. It's it's like a really basic science experiment, isn't it? When you're doing your you know your physics in year year three, year four, they tell you change one thing at a time, and then you can really isolate what is making a difference. And that's effectively what what Red Bull are doing at a big boy level. They they're, they're sort of really sort of boiled down. They know they know what uh, makes this car tick. Mercedes are bringing so much Ferrari again. You know, uh, with with what they put themselves on on, uh, on reliability on reliability back foot. So it, again, it's just everything, and then they've got the confidence to run a form. Verstappen's good here. You know, he'll want to avenge what happened last year, and so on. It's just is uh, we know we can look at the numbers, but it always, it's also like a psychological thing, and you know, it all puts in Red Bull's camp. I think.
0: Okay, so and then Cotters on Ferrari, um, talking about how they've come to Silverstone on the back foot. But again, we've left those street circuits behind. We've come to a normal. Racetrack, what? How are you feeling about Ferrari? Having seen two sessions now, one and a half sessions, really.
3: I was almost surprised to to, to see Science at the, at the top of the timesheets because uh, traditionally, uh, the, the the whole setup of this year's Ferrari has been that. They've designed the engine, the, the, the boost in such a way that it delivers a strong punch right. out of the slow to medium speed corners. And that comes at the expense of deployment from the electrical system at the top of the range on the high speed bits. Uh, whereas the Honda engine in the Red Bull is the opposite. They've they've tuned it so it has more deployment at the top end. So it's it's fast on the straights. And in order to compensate for that, Ferrari's been having to Tweak and, and remove downforce, remove drag, and, and really push to the edge of what they can get away with in terms of, of tire degradation and making the car a bit edgy. It, it, it looks like the new rear wing has delivered um, a, an, an uptick in that car's ability to go uh, at high speed. But even so, we, we, we saw the peculiar spectacle of the team going at the back end of the car with with some sort of. I, I, I could it's like the sort of one of those Dremel things you see on the Home Shopping Channel.
0: <laughs> all the teams love a Dremel. They all—that's how they got the wheel off the Mercedes. Was it last year when it welded itself on? They just went to it with a Dremel for about four days. Yeah, yeah, just uh,
3: drill through it as if as it's, if it's like a model kit.
0: Um, and let's talk uh, a little bit out of order. But Albon was fourteenth, and uh, Nicholas Latifi twentieth in the in the times today. But I want to talk about Williams slightly out of order. Home team, of course. But if anyone's watching this on TV this weekend, they're going to think that car looks a little bit different than it was before. Talk us through what Williams have bought, a big upgrade package.
3: Yeah, and, and as, as Matt said, in, in the spirit of changing one thing at a time, they've changed <laughs> one car at <laughs> a time. There's everything.
0: Here's our B-Spec <laughs> car.
3: They, they've, they've changed everything on one car. And, and you could see it going around. It, it looked a lot like the 1992 Brabham with, it, with its pink and blue uh, colour scheme. They had so much Flowvis on that car. And, and Alex Albon's job was basically to just drive around with the Flowvis on and gather data about how this this new package works. And, and a phenomenal amount of work has gone into that because uh, to make this make that change of side pod, they've had to change the whole way the the cooling system works. So at the beginning of the season, they had gone for quite an aggressive Mercedes-style solution with a sh- a two small, sharply angled uh, radiators in the side pods uh, at, at the front. So it was quite a bluff face to the airflow, but then it sloped away quite aggressively at the back to sort of try and, and, and generate as, as much sort of downwash towards um, the, the the beam wing, which seems to be the all-important uh, arbiter of, of, of helping to scavenge air from under the car. It's looking like that system is maybe not the ideal one. Okay. And certainly that car looked a little bit big because it had what was known as a sort of a, a saddle radiator across the top of the engine, which made the the engine cover quite bulky. So what they've done is gone for a sort of Ferrari-style and, uh, and Red Bull-style solution of larger radiators on each side mounted very horizontally and, and more of a conventional side pod arrangement. So that's, that's taken a lot of work and probably cost them a fair bit of money.
0: And uh, and Matt, we do get all the information from the FIA when they bring uh, teams bring updates, which is you know useful for us. How much of it on the Williams is the stuff we can see, and how much is it the stuff this season with the aero changes that we don't see with the naked eye that is under the skin of the car?
4: It's sort of 50, it's sort of fifty okay. fifty. So there's a lot of new stuff to see uh, with with the Williams, and I suppose it's helped by having two separate cars here you've got an A and a B spec sort of right next to each other so you can compare and and the interesting thing is I remember uh, in Bahrain when this sort of size zero side pod on the Mercedes turned up and I said to Nicholas Latifi like at a very base level the Williams looks looks most like the Mercedes Mercedes have won the last eight constructors championships so that must give you confidence you're doing the right thing and now what are we halfway through the season (laughs) and now they look like the Red Bull and the Ferrari and and nothing like it at all but with the ground effect it is all about what the floor is doing underneath which is why sort of you know uh, when when the cars stop on track and they get craned, they have not over the covers that go over in the top, but now sort of uh, they, fitted mattresses. They have, they, mattress they have like a valance, don't yeah. they? <laughs> <laughs> You've got it on the valance. Uh, but they, they've got all of that, and it's why you're getting pictures of those uh, of the uh, of the underneath the cars are like hen's teeth. You just can't see them anywhere. It's where all the tech secrets are. So we can look at the side pods and go, that looks different. That's got the really savage undercut the Red Bull, or the mm. concave like bathtub of the Ferrari. But it's what we can't see that's doing the business.
0: Uh, working our way down. Uh, the Alfa Romeos, Valtteri Bottas topped FP1, but kind of meaningless. Valtteri Bottas, 11. Uh, Sebastian Fettel in 12th. Ocon in 13th. In the second, Alpine. Alonso in 6th. Uh, and then I've mentioned Alex Albon, 14th. Joe, 15. Yuki Sonoda uh, in 16th. Kevin Magnusson, the first of the two Hasses in 17th. Pierre Gasly, 2nd Alfa Tauri in 18th. Mick Schumacher. In nineteenth and I mentioned Nicholas Latifi last. Before I'm not gonna run through all of those, but do you chaps wanna say anything about any particular team that's caught your eye in the last couple of minutes?
3: Yeah, just as we were uh leaving the press room to make our way here uh various plans were being put in place of how to uh forensically go through the 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 biggest stories of the day and and, and one of the stories that our colleagues are very keen to dig into is uh uh, dare we say the ghastly performance of the alpha tory drivers they've had an absolute shocker today uh so we'll be very interested to find out in in granular detail what went wrong there but really the the car slow everywhere and lacking grip so um a lot of work to do tomorrow
0: And Matt, anything that's caught your eye as we finish off the pod today that you want to mention?
4: I think it'd be more uh, in the constructors battle you talk about having... Uh, a number one and a num- t- number two driver it's not yep. necessarily in the contract but I think uh, Signs and Leclerc are much closer or in fact it could even be this weekend Signs leading away. Perez I think has got a lot of overnight work to. do. he's complained of an and issue it's a bit undiagnosed at this point or well, certainly as we came over to record his podcast because it's sort of straight away but uh, I think Perez has got some overnight work to do to get close to uh, to Verstappen so he might take a leaf out of Hamilton's book from, from last year when Hamilton pulled off that sensational win which to spend all night tonight in the simulator being is it so close Close by. Yeah, why not? Just a
3: short trip down the A5 uh, to the Red Bull uh, factory, so why not? Thank you very
0: much, gents, for making your way so quickly, uh, fighting the crowds to come over here and record this and do it in front of the, uh, the the crowd as well on the big screen. And for all our listeners at home, thank you for listening. Um, right, that's our analysis of practice. We'll be back tomorrow once again, live from the GP Racing Fan Village. I will be joined tomorrow by
3: yourself, Coders. again. we yes. are working you hard, Weekends. Uh, I'm 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 earning my uh, my, my breakfast.
0: It's deep and uh, and your colleague Alex Kalinorkis, our Grand Prix editor, will be on the podcast tomorrow. Thank.
2: Thank you very much for listening and watching if you have been and we'll catch you soon.
1: Dude, you don't have to look like your dad because this isn't your dad's hair loss treatment. People all over the country trust Bosley because they're ahead of the curve. They use the latest technology to give you your real hair back. And the best part, Bosley's permanent solution is protected by the Bosley Guarantee. Let Bosley show you for free how awesome your hair could look with an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for two hundred and fifty dollars off. Text easy to two zero three two zero three. That's B A